Well, our continuing study is in the life of David. It's up close and personal, and um, I want to invite you to turn to 2 Samuel in chapter 2. 2 Samuel in chapter 2. Finally, finally, after over two decades, David is just about to take the throne of Israel, and today we are going to see how this happens. It's just an amazing, amazing account in 2 Samuel chapter 2 and 3 that's going to teach us a very special thing about God himself and one that we need to understand personally. Now, I'm not sure if we have... um, I have a... Um, a map up front with me and it's not going to help you up here We're, we have a little technical difficulty this morning essentially I just want to give you a little picture of um, what had happened up to this point Saul died in battle in chapter 31 of 1 Samuel and Saul was the one who was in the place that David was going to be taking as the next king of Israel. So he dies in battle. David ends up asking of God, where would you want me to go? And he asks, would you like me to go to Judah? And so God answers yes. No, so here was my map. In fact, I even brought my laser pointer and everything. So um, at this point in time, understand that there was... It's all Israel, but there's two primary sections. There's the northern kingdom of Israel, and then there's the southern kingdom of Judah. And so David asked God, where would you like me to go? He's to be king over all of Israel. But he asked God, where would you like me to go? And God said, I I want you to go to Judah. I just want you to go to the southern kingdom. That's That's where you're going to start. And so That's exactly where David went. That's where the whole thing began, was in Judah. And David is accepted and anointed there as king over Judah. But realize that's only this southern portion of all of Israel. It's not the totality of it. Now, what's happening up here in the north? What's happening up here in the north is that one of Saul's sons, Ishbosheth, is taking over and does not want to relinquish control. And so there's this kind of divided kingdom at this point. David has swooped in and he's over Judah. Ishbosheth is here over the northern kingdom of Israel. And Ishbosheth has a commander that's working along with him. And his commander is Abner. He was the commander of Saul's army, and so he's he swooped in and helping out Ishbosheth. And David's commander down in the southern kingdom of Judah is Joab. And so there is this fighting that's going on. And essentially, even though David stepped in and was anointed as king of Judah, here's the deal: seven and a half years go by. Seven and a half years go by before he ends up being king over all of Israel. So a total of about 22 years pass before David ends up 
understanding and experiencing all the promise of God to be king over all of Israel, things got nasty and bloody. So here's where I'm at with this passage. I'm like, if I go through all of 2 Samuel 2 and 3, there are some nasty, grotesque things. I just tell you, so Joab and Abner are there, and they brought in representatives from their different armies. And as they're sitting around this area, they said, let's have some representatives from each of our armies just start duking it out. And so they did. They started fighting. And here the Bible mentions that they went ahead and at the same time, these men were just plunging daggers into each other and men were just falling down simultaneously dying. It was just bloody. It was nasty. And then there was another point where Joab's brother was running after Abner, who, remember, was Ishbosheth's commander. Joab's brother was running after him. And it mentions that Abner turned around and just put a sword right through Joab's brother. And it says the sword went all the way up to the base of it and came out his back. It, it just got so bad. Here, here they're all Israelites and they're fighting each other in this tremendous civil war. And then finally, after Joab's brother Asahel was killed, there was this ceasefire. And they stopped fighting, but there was no positional change. And David's position was growing. Isbosheth's was kind of shrinking. And then here's where we come to today's account. And it's the beginning of David as king over all of Israel. Now last week, we found out an important lesson I just want to highlight one more time because it's critical. It took nearly 22 years from the promise until David was king. And so we ask, after all the running, after all the lying, after all the scrounging, after all the praying and fighting, David comes face to face with the very promise that God gave him as a youngster in his dad's house that he would be king over all of Israel. And so we ask ourselves, because we have to wait. We have to wait oftentimes in life. Why did it take so long for God to give his promise? And here's the answer why. Because God wasn't just concerned, this is so important, friends, God wasn't just concerned with David being king, but with what kind of king David would be. He wasn't merely concerned with David being king, but what kind of king David would be. Here's another way to put it, and this is, this is also critical to understand. Acquiring kingship can be instant. Acquiring character takes time. That's what God was concerned with. So let's put it into practice for us. Because oftentimes we say, man, I wonder what car God wants me to get. Well, if you're looking for a car today, I'm going to tell you, an expensive one. I wonder what kind of car God wants me to get. Well, I'm here to tell you, God's concerned more what kind of driver you're going to be. Some people say, I wonder what kind of house God wants me to own. And I'm going to tell you, God's more concerned about your household. What kind of neighborhood am I going to be in? Well, God is more concerned about you loving your neighbor. 
I want to get married. Well, God's concerned about what kind of spouse you will be with your mate. Some people say, I want a baby. God's concerned about what kind of parent you'll be and how you'll raise a little one. I want a job. God's concerned about you being a Christ-like employee. I want money. God wants you to invest in his kingdom. I want the perfect church for me. Well, he wants you to be perfect for your church. You see, because oftentimes we're thinking, what position will I be in? How will things work out for me? And God's concerned not just about that. He's concerned about your character. That's why it took 22 years for David. Because he wasn't concerned merely with him being king. He was concerned about his character. So here we go. After 22 years, God is giving the kingship of all Israel to the care of David. And we need to take a moment and see how it happens. So you're in chapter 3 now, verses 6 through 8. Chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. And here's where it starts. So after all of this loyalty of Abner to Isbosheth in the northern kingdom of Israel, after all of that loyalty, here's what happens. Verses 6 through 8. During the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner had been strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. Now Saul had a concubine named Rizpah, daughter of Aiah, and Ishbosheth, remember Saul's son, said to Abner, Why did you sleep with my father's concubine? There's an accusation of disloyalty, a tremendous accusation. Abner was very angry, verse 8, because of what Ishbosheth said. And so he answered, My dog's head on Judah's side. This very day I am loyal to the house of your father Saul and to his family and friends. I haven't handed you over to David. Yet now you accuse me of an offense involving this woman. May God deal with Abner, be it ever so severely, if I do not do for David what the Lord promised him on oath. What the Lord promised him on oath. So essentially, this is what happens. And then we're going to jump right into the whole thing that God wants to learn about himself. So after all the loyalty that Abner had to Ishbosheth, Ishbosheth comes out and makes this wild accusation that Abner had slept with the concubine of Saul. And Abner said, you know what? I, I, I'm done. I'm just done. I'm, I'm not going to be going down this road anymore with you. I've been so loyal all the way through everything that you had wanted, and no longer am I going to go against God's plan. And here we're going to walk into the very word that we need to focus on because he says it twice in the passage. He says it in verse 9 and verse 17. So look there, and then we're going to dig deep on this thing. Because verse 9, <clears throat> Abner says, May God deal with Abner, be it ever so severely, if I do not do for David what the Lord... How does your translation read there? Mine says promise. Does yours say that? Yes, sworn. What God had promised or sworn. So here's the critical thing. God made a promise to David. 
And Abner says, I'm, I'm done going along with your thing, Ishbosheth. I'm going along with God's promises. Notice he says it down in verse 17 when he conferred with David and with the elders of Israel. 17 and 18, Abner conferred with the elders of Israel and said, for some time you have wanted to make David your king. Now do it. <clears throat> verse 18, for the Lord promised David. By my servant David, I will rescue my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all the enemies. So let's just dig into this one a little bit. I realize on a Sunday like today, we may need to dig deep and go quick, and Pastor Brian might actually let you out on time. The word promise. How does promise set with you? You ever had a promise made to you that wasn't kept? Promise, it means to assure someone that one will definitely do, give, or arrange something. Undertake or declare that something will happen. So you know when you tell someone, I promise I'm going to do it. I promise. And then when they don't believe you, then oftentimes we go outside of ourselves. Some people say, I swear in my mother's grave. Or you remember that old saying when we were younger? Honest to God, hope to die, stick a... You're so immature. You, you said that just like me when I was a kid. Like, Really? But we go outside of ourselves. You know, they're not believing me. I'm going to go outside of myself. Because I really mean it, and I want them to believe that I really promise this. So I made a promise to my bank when I took out my mortgage. I said, you give me the money, I'll buy the house, and I promise to pay you back. And in fact, let's just shake on it. You have my word that I'm going to pay you back. That wasn't good enough. <clears throat> In walk attorneys with about 40 documents that I had to sign. Because they wanted assurances outside of my word that I was really going to pay them back. About 26 years ago, my wife and I made promises up in front of her church, in front of about 250 people. And it wasn't just an everyday promise, because this was to be for the rest of our lives. And so we had expensive rings. We had her pastor there. <clears throat> we had all these people there to make sure, hey, you're going to keep this promise or, or we're going to be on you. And then we even signed a document saying that we made these promises. And it's on file down in Grand Rapids. I mean, you know, oftentimes when we make promises, we go outside of ourselves to say we're really going to do it. This is how important it is to us. But what about when God makes a promise? Because we see it twice here. 
As Abner refers to David, he says, because the Lord promised David. This is the words of Abner. The Lord promised David. The Lord swore it to David. The Lord, he was going to do this to David. And so I'm backing out of my thing with you, Ishbosheth. God said he's going to do it to David. What does it mean when God promises? So I looked this up. I, I want to um, see how this word works out in the Hebrew. So here's the word promise. It's amar. And this is all it means. And I'm going to give you four verses where the identical word is used all throughout the Old Testament. And I'm going to show you four words where the same exact word is used in the Old Testament. Of God promising So amar means to utter or to say. It just means to utter or to say. Oftentimes we think it's going to be this big word of oaths and swearing. Not necessarily. It means to utter or to say. So here's the places where this same word is used for God's promises. So I got four verses. And they're all in Genesis 1. And they're all throughout the rest of Scripture too. Here's the same exact word. So Genesis 1, verse 3, it says this, And God said, Let there be light. And guess what? There was light. So the word amar, the same word translated as promised in 2 Samuel 3 that, that Abner used, is And God said, said. So God spoke it and it happened. Here's the same exact word used in verse 20 of Genesis 1. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures. And guess what? They were fish and all things throughout the waters. And God said. Here it says it again in Genesis 1.24. And God said, let the land produce living creatures. And it did. And Genesis 1, 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. And it happened. So when we think of a promise, friend, we think of a special statement, a persuasive or compelling statement, urging someone else to believe or have confidence that something is going to come to pass. But basically, this is it for God. This is where the rubber meets the road for God. Because when God just says something, it's going to come to pass. He doesn't even need to say, I promise you. He just says this, let there be light. Boom. Because he says it, and he's God, it happens. He says, let us make man, and he's going to make man. Let there be birds, let there be trees. Because God says it, and he's God, it happens. When God just says something, him speaking it is certainty. It is a promise It happens because he is God. Now, if I said to my lectern right here, lectern, tip over. 
And of course, if it did it, I would be just as scared as you right now. I have no, my word is nothing. I don't have the power capable to back it up. But if I can awaken us this morning to this reality, friend, when God says anything, it will happen. We together in this one? Anything. Whatever he has said is true. And here's why. Because he's God. God says something and it doesn't come true, then something else is greater than him. But he is God. His character is supreme. He will never be denied. So when Abner came to this point and he was fighting against David and then he experienced the disloyalty of Ishbosheth, he realized, you know what? <laughs> I'm done. I'm going against the word of God. Like, this isn't going to work. I'm done with this. And he told Ishbosheth, I'm going along now with what God promised to David. It's going to happen. It wasn't a good military move, it wasn't a national move, it wasn't even a best move for him personally because we're going to find out he ended up getting killed. But he cited in both instances that ultimately it was in accordance with what the Lord said. It was going to happen. There's inevitability in this because God keeps his word, period. You know, there are over 8,800 promises in the Bible. Over 8,800 promises. There are about 1,000 promises from person to person that we can read about in the Bible. There are um, about 300 promises from people to God. But here's the big thing. There are about 7,500 promises from God to us, from God to people. There's so many of them. Um, so this Tuesday when we were sitting around as staff in this staff meeting, I asked him, okay, just, let's just start with some promises of God. Adam and Eve, I don't know if you can think of some of yourself, but Adam and Eve, through the seed of a woman, Messiah would come. Well, guess what? Jesus came to Noah. Not only would he rescue he and his family with the ark, but then also, whoop, you know, the big rainbow that no longer would God destroy the earth by a flood. To Abraham, that God would give him a land and a great nation, and through him all nations would be blessed. I mean, what an outrageous promise. 
to Abram and Sarah that God would give them a son even in their old age. Obviously to David, that he would be king over all Israel, would overcome the Amalekites and take back their possessions and, and their families. So all of these different things, you know, God made promise upon promise upon promise. 7,500 promises from God to man in the Bible. So it's interesting, um, in 2020, in the first year of COVID, with all the uncertainty, the Version Bible app, and I'm not sure how many of you people work with the Version Bible app, but the Version Bible app saw a major uptick in usage and searches. So at the end of 2020, they did their analytics and they saw... 43.6 billion chapters of the Bible were read through the YouVersion Bible app in 2020. It's just, that's crazy. Crazy amazing. By far the highest annual reading on record. And then they wondered, I wonder what verses were searched the most. So globally, they looked it up. And the most searched verse in all of Scripture, here it comes, is a promise. Isaiah 41, 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. A promise from God. So what's the big deal with the promises of God? Well, the whole of our faith rests on the fact that what God says is true. The whole of our faith rests on the reality that whatever God has stated, it will come to pass just as he said. And in fact, the faith of all those that preceded us all rests on the very same thing. The thief on the cross that died right along with Jesus was resting on the fact when Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Man, it was all resting on that. John 3.16, friends, our faith is resting on this very truth. John 3.16, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have our faith is resting on god's word that whoever believes in him will not perish romans 8 28 friends our faith is resting in the reality that we know in all things god works for the good of those who love him to those who are called according to his purpose. I mean, our faith rests on God's word in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. We need that. Our faith rests on John 14, 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. Jesus is coming back. Like, do you, do you feel that now more than ever? Like, it's, it's getting crazy out there. 
You're just kind of waiting like, okay, Lord, what's happening next? The whole of our faith, friends, rests on the reality that when God says something, it happens. And he doesn't have to do extra, I swear, I promise. He doesn't have to do a rhyme. But when God says it, it's true. Now, that's good stuff. But let me just tell you, God keeping his word isn't all roses, unicorns, puppies, and rainbows. Because God kept his promise to Saul too, didn't he? Remember back in 1 Samuel 28, God said the Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. Even when it comes to judgment, God keeps his promise. God doesn't change his word and say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm done with that part of it. Let's just do something different. God keeps his promise. When he told Adam and Eve, don't take the tree in the midst of the garden or you will surely die, you know what, God kept his promise. God kept Here's what I want to leave us with today. God keeps his word. God always keeps his word. And I don't have it up on the screen for you. So why don't we say it together again. God always keeps his word. Would you say it? God, with conviction, God, he always keeps his word. Always. Always. And for some of us here this morning and watching online, here's what that means. It means don't be discouraged. Don't. God always keeps his word. Can I tell you, in your darkest moment, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, to take on himself God's wrath for our sin, because of that, we are forgiven. He always keeps his word. You're never alone. Because he said, I will never leave you. Ever. I'll never forsake you. And he always keeps his word. You're always accepted. You're always valued. The best is yet to come and it's not down here the best is yet to come with Jesus so I want us to understand don't be discouraged because God always keeps his word and if David could take my place number one he'd be much more interesting but he would tell you people 
God told me when I was a kid in my dad's house that I would be king over all of Israel and I ran and I fought and I hid and I lied and I scrounged. And now look. (laughs) Because when God says it, he does it. He always keeps his word. Don't be discouraged. We serve the God of the universe the God of all, the God who says it and it happens. The God with nothing with whom is impossible. Even our forgiveness because of Jesus on the cross, even his ability to change our hearts, our lives, our addictions, our burdens. Don't be discouraged. And then the other one, Because God always keeps his word, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. If I could get Saul up here, people. Wow. Saul would say, I did my own thing. I know what God's word said. I know what he told me to do but I pleased people. I wanted to appease those who were complaining around me. And look where it got me. It cost me everything, including my life, my family, my legacy. I was deceived, thinking my word was greater than God's. So maybe we're on that side. Maybe we're deceived. You know, I can get away with this. I can. God's not going to deal with this sin. I can do what I want. You know, I know what the Bible says, but I don't think it's a big deal. Or some people might be saying, you know, I realize the Bible says salvation is only through Jesus, but I still think I'm a good person. I think I can earn heaven on my own. I think I can succeed by shortcutting obedience. And in all of these things, don't be deceived. Because, friends, say it with me, God always keeps, always, always. So where are you at this morning? Discouraged? Deceived? In all of it, realize where God is at. His word stands true. It always happens. He's always going to keep it. And our only way to keep his word is through the power and blood of Jesus Christ. To cling to the cross, to realize that he's done everything we need for life and for godliness. He's our salvation. He's our only hope for growth. So would you stand with me? There's promises in the Bible for you. They are. And God's going to keep them. We know where he's at. Where are you at? 
And maybe right now you need to stop. And may, maybe right now is your time of confession. God, help me. I'm doing my own thing. And I know you're going to keep your word. God, through Jesus, help me to change. Through Jesus, forgive me, rescue me, grow me. Through Jesus. Or maybe you're discouraged. Through Jesus, you're forgiven, you have hope, you're never alone. Through Jesus. Father, Thank you that you always keep your word. Thank you that you're never denied. You're the undisputed, undefeated victor over all. We stand firm when we stand on you. And God, just as David, we trust you. We trust your promise. We trust when you say it, it happens. And we thank you. Work your word in our lives. Show your promises to be true. Through the power of Jesus Christ, help us to be obedient to what you have. And change us. God, change us from the inside out. And we pray this because of Jesus Christ and in his name. Amen. Amen.